Good evening. I'm Carl Higby in for Greg Kelly tonight. All right, look, we're seeing the clash of the titans over the last 24 hours. Two America First people with a proven track record, one nationally and globally, and the other one in the state of Florida. Look, the way I see it, it's pretty much a win for America either way. The left is completely freaking out over this. You want to know how I know this? Because Bill Kristol, of all people, tweeted this, supporting Trump. Look at that. I was in shock. He said Trump's position in this primary is the most dominant of any non-incumbent president since the advent of the modern system. His support with Republican voters seems incredibly durable, and it does not seem to be the base will counteract on uh, attacks on him. I was shocked. Uh, this guy's entire Twitter's feed is just slamming all Republicans, and here he is in favor of Trump. And I sat back and thought about it. I said, wow, this is probably a little bit more calculated than I thought. Democrats actually want to run against Trump. They think he's more beatable. I think they're wrong, but Democrats are wrong all the time. Bill Kristol and all the mainstream media folks, they are desperately, desperately trying to separate Trump like the Trump we know and love, from his policies. Because you cannot beat his policies. His policies are off the chart awesome, okay? Not even the most purple-haired vegan barista can argue against $1.89 gas. The pundit class of the mainstream media is tearing into DeSantis right now because they think he's more electable. I mean, listen, this is how the mainstream media talked about DeSantis. I hope it's not DeSantis. Death Santis over in Florida because I think he's what a do you fascist. Call him Death, Santis? Death Santis. I think I think he handled COVID miserably. I think he's a fascist and a bigot. Yes, Ron DeSantis is terrible. Speaking of the worst people in public office, Florida governor and man describing what Adele's music means to him. Ron DeSantis. This DeSantis character, and it needs to be said, is, is, a, is a scary dude. I mean, this is, this is the Republican Party is becoming the anti-freedom party, is the anti-American party. But when DeSantis wasn't there, they did the same thing for you-know-who. What undermines our democracy is people like Donald Trump. He is dangerous. He is tearing up again, you know, this country, undermining our democracy. Just as Trump undermines our democracy. What he is demonstrative of is the ongoing attempt to undermine democracy in America. Stacey Abrams, the president of Earth. Yeah, they take her credibility with a grain of salt. But the left is terrified of anybody who puts America first. DeSantis is just new. But this is not new. In 2020, Democrats spent a whole ton of money propping up a bunch of people who they thought would be the easiest to beat. And in some cases, it worked. But they know Biden is a complete soup sandwich, so they need all the help they can get. They're just getting out in front of it. But since MSDNC won't actually make this about policies, we will at Newsmax. And here's why. Because, look, a quick search over to JoeBiden.com, his re-election page, this very bizarre homepage, it's like, give us money, and look at this weird picture of Joe Biden smiling. There is literally not a single tab on his homepage for policies. Now, look, I know if we had a Biden surrogate on, they would say something, like, ridiculous. Like, oh, look at all the good work he is doing. They'd point to some ambiguous generality about, you know, the 10 million jobs that actually came back after COVID that he didn't, Joe Biden didn't actually create. We've heard this all before, though. The president's team continues to do their hard work. Thanks to, in part, because of the president's work and what he's done over the last two years is because of the work that this administration has done, period. Because of this leadership that, this, that the president has, uh, has been able to do, period. It's growing, and a lot of it is because of the work that this president has done this first two years. This president doesn't work. He spends half his time in his Delaware beach house. Or Camp David. 
But Republicans right now are solid on the policy front. Trump's page, much of which he actually already did while he was in office, he's the only one on stage, actually, they can say, like, hey, guys, I did all the things I'm promising you I'm going to do again. Rebuild the greatest economy in history. It shows all the great things he did for the economy, like record-setting tax relief for the middle class, poverty reached for, you know, record low for minorities, booming economic recovery. DeSantis, much of the same thing, laying out his policies that made Florida the number one migration state for businesses in America. Trump goes into energy dominance. Everyone on the Republican platform is pretty much universal on doing the opposite of whatever Biden has done for the last two years on oil, which I'm totally on board with because the policies are horrific. The one thing that Trump is known for, the wall. And his policy is really well articulated on this site. Check this out. Right there. <laughs> I mean, like, it is unbelievable how concise he is. And President Trump... He's going to shut down the border. He said it says it's a disaster. He said he's going to end catch and release, restore remain in Mexico, eliminate asylum fraud in cooperative with states. President Trump deputized the National Guard and local law enforcement to assist with rapidly removing illegal aliens and gang members and criminals. Yeah, I can get on board with that. Yep. Troops on the border will actually be doing something. They won't be holding a clipboard or driving a forklift like they are under Biden. Trump's really the only one he's actually saying is going to start deporting people either, which I think is great. Trump talks about the care for our veterans. And I look, I really loved his action on it while he was in office. I, I think this is something Ron DeSantis, though, as a veteran himself, will have a really good foothold on. I know because I served with him. I'm anxiously awaiting actually the debate on this one. But nearly every candidate has promised to drain the swamp. OK, fine. You can say what you want about who's ever in office right now, who's taking money from who, but Trump actually has more skin in the game given all the things he's been through, especially since leaving office. But I do need to point out that Ron DeSantis has run an airtight stint as governor. He hasn't had big-time leaks like the Trump administration had. He had far less defectors. This, this is a strong comparison for the debate stage given all the insiders and especially the rhinos that stabbed Trump in the back during his time in office. Now, parental rights, I think this is probably going to be the hottest topic of the entire election. DeSantis made sure that this was on the front page of his site. He says, quote, Florida now thriving as a result, the fastest growing state, number one in net migration, number one in new business formations, and number one in education. 50-year low crime rate, it went on and on. He notes that his state is number one in education. We saw how critical this was with Glenn Youngkin in Virginia, which... By the way, battleground state. All right, this propelled him to the governor's mansion, like, quickly. DeSantis has made this a focal point of his entire tenure. And that pulls a lot, a lot of independence, especially the females in his fray. But all these policies on the right are, are so much better than what we have. There is not a single argument for any liberal policy. If, 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 if they was, they wouldn't keep running away every time we ask them to come on this network and debate it. They don't. You see why the Democrats are trying to keep this off policy, why they, they are hoping Trump wins the primary? Because they want to exploit, they think they can, but they want to exploit his personality over his policy. That's really the only criticism people have of Trump. So his, and Trump's criticism of DeSantis is that he doesn't have a personality. They, they think Biden can beat up on Trump again, which I don't know how it happened the first time. So it's up to us to make this about policy. You're at dinner with your liberal aunt and she's ranting. Make her be specific. 
Someone doesn't like your MAGA hat? Ask them why. Oh, he's racist, they always say. Ask them why and kindly remind them it was Trump's policies lifting more minorities out of poverty than any Biden handout. These are the arguments we need to have. Not people's feelings, not crapping on fellow primary th people right now between Trump and DeSantis. If Trump stays on policy, this primary is over. Put a fork in it. If he doesn't, this primary could be a race for the ages. DeSantis already has that discipline, but he's like 50 points behind Trump right now. An almost uncatchable lead. Either way, as a Republican, I'm feeling pretty good right now. We got a deep bench, and they have, I don't, I don't know, the, the Venn diagram electric bus lady and a guy who gets lost on his own stage. Joined now by Laura Trump, Trump 2020 senior advisor and host of the Right View podcast. Laura, appreciate you being here. You got it, Carl. Thanks for having me. Uh, all right. So, look, you know, I, I was on my show at 5 p.m. a little bit earlier today. And I said, you know, look, I served with Ron DeSantis. I like the guy personally, and I defend him a little bit. I don't like necessarily all the attacks from, from DJT, but he's his own guy. Do you think there's room on this stage, though, for them to just boost each other up on policy? Well, I, I think that we'll see a lot of that. I think, like you said, what the uh, good news is for Donald Trump is that he is actually running on a proven track record as president of the United States. He is the only person on either side of the aisle who actually has done the job of president and done it successfully. And of course, I include Joe Biden in that, who is being uh, doing this job horribly right now, of course. Um, but look, with Donald Trump, since the day he came down, the golden escalators in Trump Tower, he has been unconventional. Mm -hmm. He has done things differently than anyone we have ever seen. This is nothing new for Donald Trump. He certainly has fire. He certainly has passion. And it's that fire and passion that gave us all of those great things you just you know rattled off there, These, the great economy, the great standing on the world stage, uh, you know, secure borders, made sure that this country wasn't taken advantage of anymore by places like China, peace agreements in the Middle East, and on and on and on. And we remember the good old days with Donald Trump. And it will take fire, and it will take passion to get this country back, because, Carl, I sure. think we all know we have no time to waste. We are on the verge of losing the United States of America. Um, but certainly there will be a lot of policy discussion, and I'm sure it will be entertaining on the other side of things as well, as we all know. <laughs> no, absolutely. Uh, look, the, the guy's got like a 30 to 50-point lead on everyone, depending on what poll you read. Um, how does he start transitioning to a general? Well, I, I think, look, we've been through general elections before. Um, I think that uh, we're going to see Donald Trump become the Republican nominee, because ultimately I think that his, his, his place right now in the party is so secure. And I think when you see someone who has over 50 percent of the vote, it becomes very hard to, to beat that person. So I think it will become Donald Trump. And then I think, look, it, it's an, uh, it should be easy and smooth sailing into a presidential election for him, because all you have to do, Carl, is compare and contrast the disaster that mm -hmm. has ensued over the past two plus years with Joe Biden and the Democrats largely in charge of our government, and you talk about things as they used to be. So I, I think it's, it's a win across the board, especially when you have two out of three people mm -hmm. right now in America uh, thinking that this country is ultimately on the wrong track. That does not bode well 
for Joe Biden. It, it begs oh, no. for some new blood. It begs for somebody to come in who maybe has done this job before, done it well, and people want to see yeah. that happen. I mean, Joe Biden is, is just the absolute worst right now. But the <laughs> left, I mean, they, they go after anybody who puts America first, DeSantis, Trump, whatever. But once they, they always turn back to these old talking points. Listen to this. Conservative Wall Street Journal editorial board speaking out, saying Trump won't win another national election. I think Trump's unelectability will be palpable by then. We all know that he will lose. What Trump is uh, doing to win the uh, primary voter and making himself increasingly unelectable. I've said all along that Trump can't win again. Some party elites insist that Trump can't win the election. <laughs> I actually, Laura, I have the New York Post framed from 2016 with that picture of that woman going like this. It says, they were all wrong. <laughs> I have it framed in my office under a picture of me and him. I think it's actually really funny. Um, sounds pretty familiar. And like, yeah. if it was like a five-point race between him and DeSantis, I'd be like, oh, okay, cool. But it's like 50. Yeah. I thought that those were actually sound bites you were going to say from 2015 and 2016 because no, it's from literally, now. Carl, I know, <laughs> the exact same thing. The truth is these people are terrified of Donald Trump. They know that he exposed so many of them and so much of the swampy business that is conducted in Washington, D.C. the yeah. first time around. They are petrified of what they will see a second time around when he—I mean, the, the guardrails are off. There's no holding back. He now, as you said earlier, has skin in the game. He has been, uh, you know, absolutely uh, mm. targeted by all of our systems here, the justice system. It is—it's really wild to see what's happening, and they're terrified to see him back in office. And the good he'll do for America and the way he'll expose all of them— that's what that's all about. Yeah, no, I, I agree on that. Is there a non-zero chance, though, that they actually team up at some point and become like the the like mega ticket? <laughs> I'm crazier things have happened, Carl. I, I think we all know that. Um, look, I think that what we want right now is something that is going to bring this country back. I think there's no question Ron DeSantis has been a, a good governor here in my state of Florida. Mm -hmm. This is where I live now. And I think Donald Trump has proven he can be a great president. I would never say never. And I think ultimately we want people who are going to put this country first, bring us back. And if, if those two decide to team up, I think you'll have a lot of happy people. So I would never say never. I, I would be very happy. Like, like I said, I, I love Ron DeSantis, but I also love DJT. So, Laura Trump, we appreciate you being here. You got it. Thanks, Carl. All right. Well, the left wants you to believe that everything at the border is super fine yet again, but they twist their facts to fit their narrative, tell some stories, don't tell the other part of stories. We're going to debunk that when they come back. All right, folks, so there's some developing news right now. Kyle Mullen, 24-year-old uh, gentleman who was in Navy SEAL training, he passed away shortly after Hell Week. This was in February of 2022, and there was a big hoopla and a big investigation following this, and some findings have come back. There were also three others hospitalized during the same time of the training cycle. Now, 10 people, including two high-ranking SEALs, might be possibly prosecuted criminally, including Captain uh, Brad Geary and immediate super, uh, super superior Captain uh, Brian uh, DeSheller, I believe his name is. And the commander, he was the commander of the Naval Special Warfare Center. And the program's senior medical officer, all three men have left their positions since then. But the problem is, 
is twofold here. One, yes, great supervisory problems here. There was a lack of oversight, and they allowed this kid to go back into training when he was very sick. That attributed to his death with, with pneumonia, water in the lung, fluid in the lungs, a number of other injuries. But this happens all the time. Folks, I went through SEAL training. I know how this goes. When you are in SEAL training as a candidate, you will lie to cover up every single injury you possibly can. I dislocated my hip in training, and I ran six miles right after it because if I didn't, they would like me drop me from the pipeline. And that's why this guy covered up his injuries. He said he was good to go. Now, further medical advice or further medical investigation could have shown that he wasn't, but they didn't do it because he said he was fine. My heart goes out to the family on this one. It really does, and I feel terrible. I hate to see stuff like this. But to the family that has to understand, this guy was literally willing to die for his country, and he was willing to die to get there. And my admiration for his, his commitment, as, as ill-fated as it was. So I think what we need to step back from here and understand that this is the hardest military training the world has ever seen. And guys are willing to do anything they can to get through it. That said, it's the responsibility of those commanders to make sure that they are not putting people in that shouldn't be there. I want to turn to our southern border now. It's a complete mess, a total dumpster fire, and no ifs, ands, or buts about it. Yet the Democrats, they constantly try to spin it as something that it's not. Thanks to the policies put in place by the Biden administration, the numbers at the border dropped by, dropped by 70% following the expiration of Title 42. But the fear-mongering continues. Unfortunately, my colleagues are not ones to let facts get in the way of a good story. Democrats are willing to work with serious Republicans to make changes to our immigration system that would allow people to come here lawfully while ensuring the safety and security of our citizens. No, that's not true. That is complete fake news. They dropped because everybody surged through the border the day Title 42 ended. It was like 10,000 a day. Yes, it went down to 40 or 4,000. But it came right back up again. Every Republican I know is serious about solving this crisis at the border. They passed laws to fix this. Democrats have not. The Democrats don't care about this problem. And then the latest new talking point claiming that Biden's policies led to a drop is complete garbage. Tiny fact they're leaving out is that all these record encounters, they just don't have the people to man them. And what happened before? Millions through the border a year. So much so that Eric Adams here in New York even says he can't take anymore. Take a look at the numbers under Trump, though. In 2020, they were 16,000 monthly migrant encounters. That's two days under Biden. 2022, the monthly encounters were over 200,000. There you go. Put that in your pipe and smoke it, Jerry Nadler. But Biden's policies, yeah, they're helping, right? Doubtful. Joining us now, Charles Marino, former senior, uh, a senior at the Department of Homeland Security and former supervisory special agent for the U.S. Secret Service. Charles, I, I see Jerry Nadler sit up there and he's like, ah, they dropped by 70%. Yeah, for one day after everybody came in the day before. Well, the shell game continues, Carl. I mean, look, first of all, the numbers are down. The main reason is because states have taken over what should be the federal responsibility of securing the border. That's number one. Number two, the levels that we're seeing, the numbers that we're seeing at the southwest border are still at crisis levels. Anything over a thousand across the entire 1,800-mile southern border is considered to be a crisis. The processing centers are being overrun. They're at capacity. 
And finally, as a result, we still have illegal migrants being released into the United States, which yep. is why you see guys like Eric Adams and other sanctuary cities now crying about the number of migrants that are coming into yep. their communities. This is very quickly becoming a Republican and Democrat issue because, again, the problem sits where you live. And now Democrats in cities like New York and other sanctuary cities are starting to be affected negatively in their neighborhoods. Yeah, but the the problem is here is these Democrats always talk, Duda, thanks to Joe Biden's policy. What policies has this guy had that's done anything for the border? The only policy or strategy that this administration has had is to remove any policy or program that was working, that mm -hmm. was implemented under the Trump administration, to just rip that away and have absolutely no replacement for it. We have yet to see a strategy from this administration on how they they wanted to approach the southern border. Let's remember the Secretary of Homeland Security has testified in front of Congress and said, we have a plan, that plan is working. But what's the plan? We haven't seen it. No, by the way, it's not working. It's not working. Yeah. You've deteriorated our national security like no time before in history, empowered the cartels like no time in history, and endangered migrants making this dangerous journey, including children, like no time in history. Well, Charles, that, that's actually the other question they've, uh, they've captured. And these, these are the ones we know about, is over 90 people on the terrorist watch list from all of the bad parts of the world that we are currently you know, watching right now. So... They catch these people at the border. It only took 19 people to carry out 9-11. Why is this not a bigger story? Well, it should be. And Republicans need to be going after everything here. Funding for DHS. They need to be canceling things like all the perks that the Secretary of Homeland Security is getting regarding private air travel, security details, all these personal assistance around him. They need to go after these folks. And that also includes impeaching the Secretary of Homeland Security mm -hmm. because they're not doing their job. This is a huge issue. We have close to two million gotaways. Of course, there's more terrorists that have gotten into this yeah. country, and we always learn our lessons the hard way. Well, you, just by the stats, there's like a 900% spike in, the, in, in Chinese migrants at the southern border now. I mean, what about that? I mean, we know China's an adversary. We know they're buying up our farmland. Should we be concerned about that now, too? Yeah, over 170 different countries have been encountered at yeah. the border. And you mean to tell me vetting's going on? You mean all of a sudden right. now we're sharing information with China? Vetting with against Iran? With, yeah, we're pinging against what? So yeah. that means if, if any of these migrants hasn't come in pr previous contact, just like the Afghanistan refugees sure. uh, that were led into this country, if the military or, or an intelligence agency hasn't come in previous contact with these migrants, yep. there's no record. They're no. ghosts. That's, and that's a problem. We have nothing to vet it against, especially if you're from South America and you've been living, you know, not in the first world. What do we have? Charles Marino, thank you so much. All right, Carl. All right. Well, today marks three years since the kickoff of BLM summer rioting. Fast forward to 2023, and it still feels like we're living in a nightmare. But we're going to talk about that in our crime break after the panel. One person is dead and four others injured after a police pursuit ended in a crash near Potrero Hill. First, breaking news, a stabbing inside the New York City subway system. Breaking overnight, Chicago police say a 17-year-old shot and killed in the city's Hermosa neighborhood. 
This is the same type of rhetoric we've been hearing on news reports from every local news station in all the major cities across the country, especially in blue cities, all triggered a few years ago by none other than the BLM riots. Coincidentally, today officially marks three years since the George Floyd death, and we've seen since big city mayors turning their backs on cops, instituting soft on crime policies left and right that, you know, they're desecrating society. Folks, what... What you see on the screen here is the outcome we're presently dealing with, where the, there's no resolution or even attempted resolution. Let's bring in our panel, former NYPD Lieutenant John Macarari and Tom Wolf, who is a current recovering advocate and former, formerly homeless. All right, so I, I, gotta, I, I gotta ask John, since 2020, the mainstream media has been behind like every attack on law enforcement, seemingly. They don't want anything to slip by this. They want people to hate the police. Why? I mean, we have our elected officials, our elected politicians in these blue big city Democrat-run cities that are, are passing legislation that is directly affecting public safety. They're emboldening criminals. They're passing legislation that's pro-criminal. It's anti-victim. And on top of that, the policy in our police force is deterring proactive police work, which again is only in further emboldening criminals and causing crime to grow in our cities. And on top of that, we have our district attorneys not prosecuting criminals. Mm -hmm. With all that, I mean, it's not hard to see why crime's growing in all of our cities. And look, Tom, you're you, you're a recovering at your recovery advocate, and you've been helping people get out of this. You were formerly homeless, so you understand the system. And New York, places like that, are they're just mainstreaming this right in. They're saying, no, no, it's okay to be homeless. We have to give them a place to sleep and things like that. Is this good for the the, the betterment of society or bad? It. It's absolutely a disaster is what it is. Uh, so, look, with criminal justice reform, they don't want to use the criminal justice system anymore. OK, but they haven't replaced it with anything, which has resulted in making the streets the waiting room for people that are either struggling with homelessness or addiction. Mental, and many people are struggling. Right. Mental illness. And many people, especially the ones struggling with addiction, they have to turn to crime to support their habit. That's just the reality of the situation. So, uh, you know, couple that with, you know, police departments like in San Francisco, we're down over 500 officers right now. Mm -hmm. Oakland is down over 200 officers right now. They just don't have the manpower to go out there and and give us the public safety that we need. And so we need to support the police because in these progressive cities, if they want to have progressive policy, it doesn't ever work without right. public safety. Uh, John, look, you know, San Francisco, I mean, it's like the bastion of liberal bad ideas, but department stores, everybody's leaving that area. L.A., same thing. Nordstrom is, is just basically getting overrun with crime, and they're closing these stores. They can't be afford to be, they can't afford to be open anymore. How long before these people who vote for these horrific policies realize, like, hey, wait a minute, I don't have a place to go grocery shopping anymore? I mean, they're seeing it right now. You're seeing, you're seeing, uh, particularly in New York City, you're seeing pharmacies close, you know, and, and nothing's coming back to replace it. So now people are traveling further. When they go to pharmacies, they can't even get a bottle of water. They have to have a, a customer service representative come out and unlock a dollar bottle of water. I mean, it's, and, and the plans that we're seeing from these big city mayors, particularly in New York City, Eric Adams, he, he has planned to stop retail theft is to install kiosks. To, to for people who are going into stores to steal so that they could see what services we're getting. I mean, it's 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 it, it sounds like it's a parody, but it's yeah. not, you know, well, it, exactly. 
in his in his plan, uh, Tom, he, you know, people like Eric Adams, they were like, well, we want businesses to give out free food. Now, when I go to national parks, there's signs are saying don't feed the bears because they'll become dependent and they'll hang around you all the time. Am I wrong? You're, you're not wrong. So, look, the, bo the bottom line is that when these stores start closing because they're getting shoplifted to death, the communities that get hurt are the most are the poor communities, yeah. the marginalized communities, the communities of color that the elderly, the people that rely on having to go to brick and mortar shops to, and stores to buy their groceries because all of us can order online. We can order our groceries online. So that's something that, you know, we're totally missing the point on that, that this kind of allowance of this crime and this rampant theft is actually harming the very people that the far left claims yeah. to want to protect and stand up to. So I, I really don't know what's going to happen there. John, Tom, I appreciate you being here. Keep speaking out, guys. We need to hear it. Thank, Thank you. you. All right. Well, the government shutdown looms, and all Joe Biden can worry about is when he can head back to the beach for vacation. We're going to take, talk about Joe's lack of accountability when we come back. I know how to make government work. Not because I've talked or tweeted about it, but because I've done it. I've worked across the aisle to reach consensus, to help make government work in the past. I can do that again with your help. This guy was wrong on basically every policy he put in state. But it, just another lie from Joe Biden. That was during the 2020 campaign when he bragged about his ability to work across the aisle and negotiate to get things done. And here we are, less than a week away from the debt ceiling deadline. No deal, not even in sight. Oh, by the way, Biden doesn't seem to care if he's off for the weekend while America's economy is completely in the balance. The president, again, is going to Camp David this weekend and then going to Delaware. Um, if the situation is so dire, then why, why is the president? Well, I already answered that question. So you have another one? I literally just answered that question. He came I'm back from Japan. I, go ahead. Go ahead. Yeah. Okay. No. Any other questions? No, that's it. Okay, great. The, the hubris and disdain that woman has for the American public is actually baffling to me. In fact, Joe Biden waited over three months to even meet with Republicans to avoid the issue altogether. So where does he leave negotiations now? Well, let's bring in New York Congresswoman Claudia Tenney, member of the House Ways and Means Committee. Congresswoman, my issue here is like, this guy has basically said, is my way or the highway? And that is not what he ran on. That's how Joe Biden always is, though. I mean, you just had probably the biggest liar in the modern era. He makes Joe, George Santos look like a slacker. I mean, this, <laughs> nobody lies like Joe, like Joe Biden. And then he's, I, I mean, look at Corinne Jean-Pierre has got to lie for the liar. So uh, I, it's got a tough job. I give her uh, credit for doing what she's doing. It can't be easy, although I, I couldn't do it. Yeah. But look, you know, the Democrats could have solved this problem with their giant omnibus bill that they did in December, the big Christmas bill that I called the big ugly at the time. They very well could have done. They could have put this uh, debt ceiling problem to rest, but they were hoping that it would come up and, and look and drop in the lap of the Republicans because they knew we were taking the majority. Yeah. And guess what? Joe Biden refused to deal with Kevin McCarthy. He started asking in January. Uh, now, what, what took, what, just last week when, or two weeks yeah. ago, and he finally decided, oh, yeah, I think I'm going to negotiate with you. But look, this is really important. And, and I'm not concerned that we're going to default sure. on the debt. We, sh we shouldn't default on the debt, uh, and that's not going to happen. We have the money in the Treasury. Janet Yellen 
can prioritize the interest payments to cover us for a certain period of time. So that is the actual truth. The Democrats all paraded across the floor today after session ended and, you know, with hysterical hyperbole about how horrible this is all going to be. But they created this mess. They added $10 trillion to the debt just since 2021. Since Nancy Pelosi has been speaker two different times, $40 trillion was added to our, our debt. So, or 40% was added to our debt. Yeah. And so they have, it's all on their lap. And now Joe Biden refuses to negotiate, but they know they're in trouble. And I'll tell you three important things, Carl. Right now, our debt, our uh, taxes, and our spending have never been higher in this country. And this is looking a lot like what could happen in 2008. If we go to a recession that is worse mm -hmm. by allowing us to default, to continue to allow the inflation, and to continue all the spending and the taxes, there's nowhere to go for the Democrats. Yeah. And they control two parts. They control the Senate and they control uh, the White House. This is Biden's default, Biden's problem. If we go into recession, the Democrats are going to get wiped out in the elections. And they know that. That's why they're pushing now all of a sudden to get something done by next week. But, Congresswoman, I got less than a minute left. I, I, yeah. I, look, I'm a pretty big libertarian. And I think, like, hey, you know what? We took in $4.9 trillion in tax revenue last year. Um, that's more than ever before, like you said. This actually kind of forces a balanced budget. Why is that a bad thing? Maybe just don't raise it at all. It is a good thing, and we could do that, and we could propose to do that. But right now, you have to pay for the appropriations that have been put, laid out. And so the debt ceiling really is just about paying the appropriations that we have. And we've laid those out, and those are laid out by the Democrats. Now we're in charge. What we're saying, which is a very modest plan put out by Kevin McCarthy, mm -hmm. which I cannot believe the hysteria going on. We have a modest plan. This should be, the Democrats, this should be a slam dunk. And remember, energy is a big part of this. This is about the permitting process, which is where they, they don't want to agree on these green energy subsidies. But let's just look right here in my own state of New York. Chuck Schumer is one-third of this equation in, de in debating this debt. They brought a giant micron uh, plant. Uh, proposal into New York uh, to give it to Kathy Hochul so she could defeat Lee Zeldin for governor. And guess what? They're, they've got to deal with energy. We're not going to bring chips back. Yeah. We're not going to grow jobs. We're not going to have Micron without strong energy policy. And the permitting yeah. with the Environmental Protection Agency and the Department of Environmental Conservation in New York are going to put the brakes on this project. So it's really in Chuck Schumer's lap right now. Let yeah. this permitting be uh, modified and we can go ahead with a Micron uh, plant bring the chips back from China and from Taiwan, give us security. He could be a winner if he did that. Uh, yeah. I mean, look, here's the thing. is The problem is the people keep voting for these people. Look, I live in Connecticut where energy high costs are the highest of anywhere in the lower 48. They still keep voting Democrat. No idea why. Congresswoman Claudia Tenney, we appreciate you being here, ma'am. Thanks so much. All right. Coming up, North Face is the new victim or self-imposed victim of the woke takeover. How did we get to that? Hi, it's me, Patagonia, a real-life homosexual, and today I'm here with the North Face. We are here to invite you to come out in nature with us. We like to call this little tour the Summer of Pride. This tour has everything. Hiking, community, art, lesbians, lesbians making art. Mm, 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 no. Whatever that was that we just watched. This is the new face of North Face. You know, the people who like climb Everest and stuff like that. that the clothing is built for them, but that's what they, they got now. The actual real life website of the company has this on it. 
This is another brand that does have no idea who their customer base is, gone way over the top woke. It's not going to end well. Whatever happened to like the traditional North Face, the brand about that cared about the outdoors, not social justice and everything? How do these people keep diving into the shallow end of bad ideas time after time, head first, and they never learn? Let's bring in our media panel to discuss this. Managing editor of Newsbusters, Curtis Hauk, and the host of the Mark K Show, Mark K himself, actually. Um, Curtis, they don't learn. No, they don't learn at all, Carl. I mean, I'm pretty sure the Sherpas out in Nepal would look at somebody like that and be like, no, that's not how you hike Mount Everest. And I'm pretty sure gay people that do go hiking, which, you know, who wouldn't because hiking, you know, going out in the woods, enjoying God's creation is sure. pretty great. That's gay people probably don't look like that when they're hiking. That, Definitely that's not. not their look at all. And yet the news media are out there saying that, you know, North Face and Bud Light and Target are victim of culture wars. Their employees' lives are being put at risk because parents are rising up and just saying, can we please not show this to our children? Can you please just like focus on your core mission here? And jackets? I don't know. <laughs> Mark. This, you know what, yeah. before, I, before I get all my gear and I'm ready to climb, you know, Denali, the first thing I think about is, man, I sure wish I had some rainbow tights and a dress. Yes, and some lesbians doing art. That's what that's what the great outdoors is really all about to me. Uh, I love the dig at Patagonia, you know, Patagonia. They're digging at their competitor, but their competitor isn't, you know, slicing off their entire their entire capitalist, you know, uh, uh, basis. The the North Face is looking toward a segment, and all of these companies are Bud Light, Target. That is eight percent, seven point five. No, it's like two. Yeah, mm -hmm. and they and then and how many of those people actually want to go into the outdoors in summer uh, to, like you said, hike through mosquitoes and and snakes and everything else? It's a really bizarre phenomenon. Yeah. And after Bud Light, after Target, even after Disney here in Florida, you would think that some of these companies would learn, but. I guess they just don't. Thank God, because you know what's happening is all of that money that they're losing, the billions of dollars of revenue, is bolstering these American companies that have actual moral values that, yeah. the most, that most of us share. So this could actually be a good thing in the end. I'm here for it. But I want to talk about a, a Target now, okay? They, they caught themselves mm -hmm. in another Bud Light situation. And they, it's like they, it's not like they didn't see it coming. They were watching Bud Light. They're like, mm-hmm, this is going to be good. We're going to make some, like, tuck-friendly stuff. We're going to stick it right in front of the kids' section. And now they've lost $9 billion in a week. So, Curtis, I, I guess, like, look, I'm done shopping at Target. And, you know, I, like Mark said, I, I know where I want to go. Yeah, I mean, this one's a little bit harder for people to pull off than Bud Light. Bud, you know, there's a million different beers out there, but for Target, you know, mm. for a lot of people, that was their one-stop shop place. But it seems like people are hanging with it. You know, I mean, the media coverage, as I was pointing out earlier, you know, it, this is threatening Target worker safety by raising complaints. Yeah, it's very no, it's similar not. to the school board parent situation that we, we saw, where the Biden Justice Department came out and said, and their allies in the media were like, these parents are domestic terrorists. People who are like, can we please not have like tuck friendly like in the kids section, whatever in in our stores? Can we please not have that? It's it's just anti-American. Yeah. It goes against you know really the uh, I guess values of this country are just common sense for goodness sake. It, it, I mean it, even people who aren't political are looking at this like 
Uh, can I just but, buy like my white undershirts? Yeah, exactly. And, like, and this this actually has wine? this actually has red pilled more people that I know that were never engaged and didn't care before. Now they're like, oh yeah, I'm engaged now. But Mark, the view. These people never cease to amaze me. The the the, the intellectual genius that that yeah. show is. Joy Behar, a liberal white woman, telling Republican yeah. Tim Scott, who happens to be black, that he doesn't understand what it's like for a black person in America. Listen to this. He's one of these guys who, you know, he's like Clarence Thomas, black Republican who believes in pulling yourself by your bootstraps rather than, to me, understanding the systemic racism that African-Americans face in this country and other minorities. He doesn't get it. Neither does uh, Clarence. Make it stop, Mark. Oh, Joy Behar, she knows exactly what it's like to grow up as a poor black child in South Carolina. I mean, you're not just talking about somebody who grew up impoverished, but grew up in, in the deep South, yeah. pulled himself up, became a lawyer, became a senator, and is now this close to potentially being president, or Amazing. a lot of people are saying vice president. But it's Joy Behar who knows really about racism. Also, it's Clarence Thomas syndrome. I asked my doctor about it. He had no idea what it is, but I want it because Clarence Thomas is a constitutionalist, a traditionalist. He's I a love Christian. that guy. And he's, I know, let, cough on me, Clarence. I want to get Clarence right. Thomas syndrome. Yeah, well, Curtis Houck, Mark Kay, always a pleasure, gentlemen. Yep. All right, don't go anywhere, folks. Back in a sec. Oh, boy, Memphis, Tennessee, another Democratic-run city that is being hit by a crime wave. Check out what happens as a community leader is being interviewed about crime. Please put your name for me. Uh, my name is Yolanda, Y-O-L-A-N-D-A. Get down, get down, get down. Just stay down and get down. It's okay. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Just stay down and get down. It's, uh, oh, they're coming back. Okay. You okay, Jim? She is, she, this is like actually, sadly enough, it seems like she's been through this before. She's being interviewed about crime. Drive-by shootings are up like 237%. Unbelievable. I mean, this is what people have to deal with every day. And they're like, no, oh, these policies, we're going to just keep going on that one. Never works out for these people. And probably the reason it's still happening is because the media is not covering it properly. A new poll from Rasmussen reports that people feel that the media is the enemy of the people. 59% of voters believe that the media is not good. Imagine that. All right, folks, appreciate you tuning in with me tonight. I'll be back on my show 5 p.m. tomorrow every week, Monday through Friday. I'll be there. Appreciate it. Greg will be back next week.